Disclaimer before you watch or listen to this episode of Broken Silicon, which was very challenging to plan and edit. It was actually challenging to plan because Broken Silicon's come out Tuesday, and that's when NVIDIA is unveiling Lovelace. And then I've also been told that Lovelace information will keep dropping both publicly and behind closed doors with partners of NVIDIA all week. So holding the episode an extra day like we sometimes do didn't make any sense. What we decided to do then is to record on September 16th, Friday afternoon as kind of a primer and then release it early before the Lovelace news so that could get proper coverage and time to breathe. But then while we were recording, well, the insane news broke that EVGA is leaving NVIDIA and we had to cover that. So this is a disclaimer that the way this is edited, the first portion is me interviewing Mark and going a little bit into Lovelace talk during that portion. We don't know that EVGA left NVIDIA yet. And then, after I had a chance to talk to a source, and then we recorded some stuff, there will be a portion where we react to the EVGA leaving NVIDIA news. And then we edit back in, where we start talking about RDNA 3 stuff. And, well, I actually don't think it changes that much of the context. If anything, EVGA leaving NVIDIA just backs up our already held opinions that Lovelace is super expensive, AIVs are mad, and more. You'll see in the episode, but just remember that. In the beginning, we didn't know EVGA left NVIDIA. The end, we didn't know EVGA left NVIDIA, but I don't think it makes the episode any worse. In fact, I think this might have actually made it better. Well, you'll see. Tell me in the comments, but uh, anyways, yeah, let's get on with the show. This podcast is sponsored by Wren, a website that allows you to calculate your carbon footprint, helps you find ways to reduce it, and even offers methods for offsetting it. Support Moore's Law is dead and get 10 trees planted in your name for free at the link in the description. And you can also support Moore's Law is dead if you need Windows keys or software at cdkeyoffer.com. If you go there, also use the code BROKENSILICON for 25% off Windows keys or die shrink for 3 percent off everything else on the website all right now let's get on with the show Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I'm joined by someone I've found as I prepared the notes for this show, many more people that I talk to, including people who have come on the podcast before, know him personally. So you're quite a well-known guy, Mark. Why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell everybody what you do? Yeah, thanks. Uh, the name's Mark. Um, I'm in the business for uh, around 15 years. Uh, I was doing more than five years at PC Games Hardware. That's a German enthusiast uh, PC print magazine and also a website. And after a bit more than five years, I moved uh, on to Berlin, to Golem. And um, I'm the senior hardware editor for Golem for almost a decade. So doing all the CPU, GPU, SSD, and display whatever reviews all the component stuff motherboards memory overclocking uh you name it yeah so uh that's why i'm here talking about hardware right and uh and yeah and you work for golem.de right now um i am curious i mean and you know we don't need to dwell on this any more than you want to but i always like to ask uh, out of curiosity 
like uh, where did you what did you did you go to college for something what did you study and, and what got you into this kind of tech you know journalism type of work what got you into this well my my, my dad uh used to work at uh, sap so i was always you know kind of connected mm. to all the, the hardware and the software um, stuff. I was playing on, on PlayStation and PC when I was a kid and a teenager. And I, uh, I built uh, my own PCs very early, like 12 or 13 years. I was buying my very first graphics card, a high-end card, a, a 9700 Pro when I was 14. Right, I was doing the paper route, so driving around and uh, giving the, the newspapers to, to people. And that was a lot of money uh, back in the days when I was 14. So I, I was able to buy a high-end graphics card. And since then, I'm doing, you know, high-end hopping from the very top dog to the very top dog each generation. And yeah, when I was like, yeah, I bought the first the first hardware. And I was curious, how will it compare uh, to the hardware I had before? So I started doing like forum reviews. It was a new uh-huh. thing back in the days. Today, it's pretty common, right? People do it on YouTube or wherever. But uh, back then, it was pretty new. So I was starting to talk to, you know, um, hardware shops and whatsoever, if they would uh, loan me hardware to compare. And that's how it all started. And I I, I finished high school, and I was doing a traineeship uh, at PC Games Hardware. And after the traineeship, I... Got a full-time editor and a senior editor, and so everything um, came together. And uh, I was moving to Berlin, to Golem, to actually study electrical engineering. Uh, but I never finished it, so I, I simply stuck to uh, tech journalism because that's what I love to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, so you were going to college, and then this thing that was a hobby just kind of took off, and you just followed that career because you enjoyed it so much. Then absolutely, yeah. Now, you, you you wanted you brought this up. How did Golem get its name? You said it was an interesting story. There is an interesting story. Yeah. So obviously, I'm I'm not the founder of of, of Golem, uh, but the people that founded Golem um, found a name uh, very fascinating. So a Golem is is a a creature uh, made of clay. Uh, it's a Hebrew uh, mm-hmm. word, and the, the Golem itself it has no no soul, no will. It, it needs a master, right? And it's up to the master to control the golem and let the golem do some stuff, right? And the golem itself, it's, it's neutral, like technology. It's, it's neutral. But it's depending on the master if you uh, will use technology or the golem for good or evil. And that's a very good analogy um, for hardware too, I think. <laughs> that's but that's a much more deeper explanation because as you started talking about that i was like following it in my head okay and so that's kind of like and it's it's like oh so it's like we are objective and you can use technology for good or bad right that's the idea yep. that's much deeper than most uh website names usually it's just oh it's the sky or you know well, game or PC, whatever pc games hardware <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah let me move on to a reader mail here that I think is a good opening question. QH Freddy writes in and he says, how do you say the German market for consumer GPUs and PCs as a whole is different from the rest of Europe and the rest of the world? I've always found it quite interesting how there are several 
very big German tech news sites and YouTube channels in tech, which are known quite well in English speaking countries. But for example, I don't really know of many big Spanish tech outlets that are covered in other countries. Right. Um, from a European perspective, um, besides UK, Germany is the largest market um, for hardware, uh, especially gaming hardware, as mm -hmm. far as I'm aware. And I think uh, Germany has a, has a great history of, of hardware. So uh, if you ever checked Wikipedia, there's a guy called Konrad Suse, and he made a, the first programmable uh, computer of the world back in 1936 or 37, the mm -hmm. Z1. And also we have the Silicon Saxony. So that's uh, an area around the city called Dresden. And there's lots of fabs. You know, there's, there's uh, AMD, now uh, Global Foundries, there's Infineon, there's NXP, there's Renesas, there's also uh, Bosch doing all the automotive stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, we obviously have large software companies like uh, SAP. So I would say that Germany is very technology driven and mm -hmm. there's lots of uh, enthusiasts. And every time there's like, uh, like an event, like a tech day, uh, AMD, Intel, Nvidia, Qualcomm, whatsoever, it's usually the German folks asking most of the questions or even most of the more technical um, questions. And then there's obviously Ian. <laughs> yeah. Chris Rich writes in and he says, if my current GPU died at the end of this year, I'd probably try to replace it with something about as fast but cheaper for a lower price. What would you do in such a scenario? Do we need more advanced games more than we need a faster GPU? So yeah, I guess he's he's basically asking you know, with prices going down. And he didn't say what graphics card he has, but mm. um, it is an interesting question. I have a friend who still has a GTX 1080. He's actually visiting me right now. And I have a backup RTX 3050 that's around right now. It's pretty, it's actually closer to the, <laughs> to the 1080 in performance than you'd think, but it uses, you know, two thirds the energy. Like if his 1080 broke, should he, would you advise he go out and buy like a card that is the same performance or a little stronger, but you know, half the power usage or should he go for something twice as strong? Cause for me, it is becoming more and more of a factor as things move forward. Well, I, I'm an enthusiast, so I would, I would spend the money to go for something faster. Uh, Especially, I really like to use stuff like like downsampling, so rendering with a higher internal resolution, and then downscaling when with supersampling to my actual mm -hmm. dis, uh, display output resolution. So I would always go go for uh, for the faster card, but um, there, there seems to be a lot of mining cards now um, rushing to the the, the market. Um, so maybe looking for a used card with around the same or slightly higher performance, but way less energy consumption for a, for a reasonable price. That would be probably my take for, let's say, regular people uh, that don't want to spend so much money for new cards. That would be probably my take for, for this fall or this winter. So one thing, though, that I then want to start jumping into, you know, a few years ago, if a company was going to launch some 600-watt, $2,000 graph or whatever it ends up costing, you know, um, I guess actually before I uh, we get into this, which of course I'm hinting at Lovelace here, um, I do want to make a 
warning to the people listening. This was recorded on September 16th. Um, this was a hard decision to make. Usually we would record one or two days before the podcast goes public, and that's usually on a Tuesday. But on a Tuesday, Lovelace is getting announced. And to my understanding, everyone tells me that on Tuesday, Lovelace is going to have some information dropped, but it's not going to stop there. We're going to keep getting Lovelace updates all week. And that trying to like hold the podcast back a day or something be a waste of time because it's going to be a developing situation. So this episode is meant to be kind of a lay of the land, a look at, you know, AMD's place in the market, NVIDIA's place in the market, our general thoughts on what's going to happen this fall between Lovelace and RDNA 3. But we're releasing it early for that reason as well. So just if you're listening to this on Tuesday or Wednesday, keep in mind, we haven't literally seen the Lovelace release, although I think, frankly, we know enough to talk about it with decent amount of detail. Um, but yeah, let's get into it. I, I, I'm kind of curious. Let, let's start here. After Ampere came out, you know, what did you, what were you expecting uh, their next generation to be like? And what were you expecting? out of Lovelace as we got closer to that launch because Ampere upped power consumption per tier over their previous generations um, more than usual, I would say. I mean, sure, Turing used more energy than Pascal, but like not really that much. Yeah. Um, what What were you expecting after Ampere came out for the next gen? Did you see, oh, this is probably going to keep going up every gen? And did you honestly believe the rumors early early this year about Lovelace power consumption as well. I'm, I'm wondering, because there were a lot of crazy rumors coming out, and a lot of people, I think, either completely disregarded them or maybe just blindly bought into them. I, I am curious, when you first heard about, like, 600-watt graphics cards, what you thought. Right. We, we heard about these 600-watts rumors uh, quite early, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we are all aware that there is the new 12-volt high-power connector for graphics cards. We're going up to 600 watts, and there's a reason why this connector does exist, right? That was quite obvious. But um, I I was expecting actually a bit more uh, higher efficiency, right? Because NVIDIA is going from Samsung's um, 8 LPP, which is essentially an optimized 10 nanometer DUV, and they, mm -hmm. they jump to... Uh, TSMC's um, 4N, so that's an optimized 5 nanometer EUV version for NVIDIA, as far as I understand it. And that's almost two full nodes, right, between 8, eight uh, LPP and, and this um, 4N um, node. So I was expecting, um, let's stick within the, you know, 300 watt range, um, but we will get way higher performance and way better efficiency but now it looks like that we get twice the power consumption for <laughs> maybe twice the performance and then also the same efficiency. Um, I would love to see more efficiency uh, for various reasons. But, um, well, NVIDIA didn't think, don't think, doesn't think so, apparently. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the, the actual specs. Uh, we got some leaked stuff. Right, mm -hmm. 450 for the 4090, which is essentially the same as uh, 3090 Ti. Mm. And, um, but from the yeah. sounds of it, a lot of them will have a dual BIOS, or all of them will, that goes up to 600 yeah. watts. So I think yeah. I think me and you agree. And that's the thing is, 
you know, on Tuesday when they unveil this, it doesn't really matter what they say. We're really not going to know how much performance it truly keeps at 450 watts until reviews verify this, right? Like, we're really not going to know yet. Because I think what you've got, what we've got to think about is, I, I, I agree it's on 4 nanometer. But the question becomes, what did they target the sweet spot voltage of for their architecture? Because that is something you design early on and you say you know polaris for example we're gonna like to, to use an example i mean i, I know amd had polaris is going to be a certain amount of performance it, i don't think it quite hit the performance they wanted on global foundry's 14 nanometer and so they pushed it extra hard because amd had to beat the 1060 but it was probably pushed about 10, 20% out of its voltage curve because some testing on ARCs 480s showed that if you dropped voltage in clocks by like 10%, you could cut power down by like 30, you know? And so we don't know. Is is Lovelace targeting... Is, is the sweet spot for the 4090, for example, at 350 watts? You know, at 350 watts, is it like... 70% more performance than the 3090 at same power usage because that's what you might expect or have they targeted the voltage higher so that it's like at 450 watts is when it's you know <laughs> like 50% you know like 80% better than a 3090 Ti that that's what I'm wondering yeah i would i would agree um especially like uh, polaris um rx480 back then was 150 watts Right, mm -hmm. and we went to RX five eighty with one hundred eighty five, and RX five ninety went all the way up to two hundred and twenty five, and yes, clock speeds uh, went up, and you got a bit more performance, but efficiency dropped a lot, yeah, uh, over the years, and so uh, apparently it wasn't the, the, the sweet spot, right? Uh, even for the RX four eighty, it was a, a it too much, I think, for for this um, level of performance, and obviously um, RTX um, thirty ninety um, Ti is also way above the, the sweet spot. So GA one hundred two apparently was never designed um, to, to run that high. At least performance is not scaling. Well, and it's based well. on a Samsung node, which is usually mobile first. Granted, I know eight nanometer is meant for high performance devices, so they would get mad at me if I said that, but. Still, Polaris, Polaris was also 40 nanometer and Global Foundries had a license from Samsung. So 40 nanometer for Polaris yep. actually was a Samsung Note too. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, what we're saying is it's no surprise that Ampere lost a ton of efficiency when you got outside of its, you know, stated range. And there are some Ampere cards like the 3070 that are actually every bit is um efficient as rdna2 cards so it just goes to show if they don't over push it it is actually not the worst but i guess what i guess that's my assumption though with lovelace i would expect that its efficiency curve was built higher than usual but i don't know how high it was <laughs> you know like that would have been something designed a while ago and and I will say, actually, there's a part of me that goes, I find it a little hard to believe they'd make it too high because that would completely kill their laptop. You know, like they might be able to say, oh, there's a 600 watt BIOS in the 4090 and at 600 watts, it doubles performance. So we're good to go. 
but I would hope it's because they're pushing a card that should be 350 watts to 600 for an extra 30%. Because if in the reality they're pushing a card that's supposed to be 450 to 600, I don't know what they're going to do with some of these lower end Lovelace cards in laptop, frankly, right? Because it, that only works on desktop. You can't, you can't just say, oh, well, you know, AD104 now is meant to run at 300 watts because then it's, I, I, it's a real, it's a real issue. I don't know. Um, do you think this is the right strategy for NVIDIA, right? Because um, cause it seems like this is two generations in a And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe NVIDIA just doesn't care about power consumption on desktop unless, you know, if there's any competition, they were always going to do this. They planned this out five years ago. But it seems like there's this last-minute overclocking two generations in a row. I mean... Quick Jumper writes in and he says, Hey, Tom and Mark, I think one of the stupidest things NVIDIA has done was not anticipating the eventual mining crash and severely underproducing cars from their Ampere lineup. It shows how much NVIDIA wants to satisfy investors. And I think AMD is being very smart with their strategy to just keep focusing on efficiency, which is what I'm hearing about RDNA 3, that AMD isn't going to over push their cards, at least right now. He says, and it shows that AMD can think strategically several years into the future. Well, it seems like NVIDIA's being a bit short-sighted and constantly making last-minute decisions to stay competitive. And so I think this is where I can divide this conversation into two different routes. Number one, it feels like Lovelace at least is partially being overclocked last minute again, just like Ampere. Again, I, I think... I truly do think they were planning to overclock Lovelace from the beginning. I don't think they were going to make the 4090 a 300-watt card. I don't. But I don't think they intended 600. I, I just find that hard to believe. And then at the same time, they've massively overproduced their graphics cards for Ampere, and it's massively hindering their Lovelace launch. In fact, I know Anthony Greff at Tweaktown leaked uh, uh, one or two days ago that he knows Lovelace graphics cards have been sitting in a warehouse since August, and that NVIDIA has just been holding them to try to get rid of Ampere stock. Because once the contract was signed with TSMC, they're like, hey, we're going to make it when we're going to make it. You sell them or throw them in the ocean. We don't really care. Um, and, and I've been able to verify since then, actually, that that's true in writing, that they have this warehouse of Lovelace cards for months. So... How does this happen that they overproduce Pascal for mining, that they overproduce Ampere for mining? It's happened twice in a row, and it seems like they've overclocked several generations last minute as well. I wonder if you have any thoughts about how they would make well, the same mistakes twice or not. What, what do you, would you call it a mistake? From a revenue perspective, NVIDIA did insanely good for, for the last uh, two to three years. Obviously, um, the... Uh, the gaming segment crashed, right? But still, it was on a very, very high level compared to the years before. NVIDIA was only climbing up from a revenue perspective. They had, this, they had spikes with mining, but they didn't, they didn't drop below the um, pre-mining um, era, if I remember um, correctly. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really agree to say it was short-sighted they apparently had the wafer capacity to produce so many cards they also apparently had the opportunity to sell these cards through the partners to the mining companies or the miner mining farms and they did make the revenue 
And yes, there are some cards, um, they kind of look, like you said, um, overclocked or, or pushed over the sweet spot um, to hit certain performance targets. Um, but, but AMD did, did the same for, for certain cards. So I think um, they both have a strategy. They both try to execute the strategy. And NVIDIA is growing. AMD is growing. So from a revenue perspective, both companies seem to have a good strategy for themselves. So you're saying, and I'm looking at NVIDIA's stock price right now, um, you know, before the shortages, like, uh, let me see here. So if we were to go to, yeah, the beginning of 2020, NVIDIA's stock price was worth, uh, let's see, $60, basically. And you're saying, yes, it spiked up to like over 300. And yes, it's lost most its value, but its value is still $132. Is double what it was before they made so many amperes. Is that what you're arguing? Like, we can say it looks bad now, but it's still made them so much money in the past two years that until they're below that, are we so sure it was a bad decision? Yep. That's apparently what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, don't let me put words in your mouth. Not apparently. <laughs> I'm just trying to, you know, now clarify they, they, it. They did their, they did their revenue. They, they had, they, they have, they, they have the margin. Um, so looks, looks good for them. I think. So I guess the only thing I'd push back on is I guess we're going to have to see, right? Because if they were to, cause, and again, guys, this is not financial advice. We cannot legally give financial advice, but from what I'm hearing, they have an entire year's worth of cards still to sell. <laughs> and then they bought more capacity for four nanometer than they did for the previous generation. So not only do they have like a year's worth of ampere to sell through, and I mean, like new, like from what I'm hearing, there's warehouses still of new Ampere cards they haven't sold. Ethereum just went proof of stake. So we have all these used mining cards hitting eBay right now. I think if it was just that, I wouldn't be that concerned. It's like, yep, they're going to do some wonky things like probably disable 3080s into 3070s to get rid of them or something and just sell off all those dies. But the fact that they've also bought up twice, like, I don't know. I guess I don't know the exact number, but like just an enormous amount of four nanometer and four nanometer is so expensive. I don't know. It's going to be a, a tricky balancing act to see if they can sell through what is effectively going to be two to three years worth of stock in one year after a lot of people already bought graphics cards last year. It's, it's, it's it will be interesting to, to see, and I don't want to predict anything. So the last the last two to three years, Nvidia did well, but uh, if they have too much stock and if they ordered a lot of wafers, then it's going be, uh, going to be very tricky to get rid of it. But uh, only time will will tell. I, I mm -hmm. don't want to. You're anything. saying it's too early to say they made some huge mistake. Okay. I would say so. All right, so I actually don't know what the final edit for this will look like, but in the middle of our conversation, or like really towards the end, we found out about EVGA breaking up with NVIDIA, and I really appreciate, Mark, that you stayed on extra long, because uh, I know it's late where it is where you are, but this is, this is such important context. I think, well, let me read the statement here, right, quoting from... Tom's hardware. Let me see the. Yep. So EVGA says 
EVGA is committed to our customers and will continue to offer sales and support on the current lineup. Also, EVGA would like to say thank you to our great community for the many years of support and enthusiasm for EVGA products. And I mean, there's not much else to say. You got statements from NVIDIA saying, oh, well, you know, we've had a good relationship with EVGA. We wish them the best and vice versa. Before we jumped in to add this last minute addition to the podcast, I actually made a few calls with some sources, um, some of them at EVGA. And let's just say that what they're saying publicly is not the words they're using behind the scenes about why this is happening. What is your gut reaction to seeing this happening? It's bad. And it's probably because of cost. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and I'll just go through this quickly. I don't want to waste too much time here. From what I've seen, yes, Lovelace is incredibly expensive. And from what I am told by people at EVGA, it's not just that Lovelace is expensive. It's that NVIDIA won't tell them how much it costs. And they're tired of waiting until the last minute to know what the MSRP is going to be for everything especially now that nvidia makes founders cards so apparently rift started with the Founders series which they feel is unfairly priced you know i did this big leak nvidia's ultimate play where nvidia at launch was selling ampere cards below cost well aibs were forced to become the bad guys if anyone was doubting if that story is true it is true this is why vga is leaving they're tired of the Founders series being artificially cheaper they're tired of not knowing what the bomb cost is going to be until right before launch because they can't plan their business case. And apparently, EVGA is in a unique position now where they have a year's worth of cards to sell from the 30 and 20 series still. So they told NVIDIA, it sounds like, you know, this is very quick phone calls, but it sounds like what happened is EVGA said, we're losing money on every card we sell. We can't afford to do this. And when And if you tell us to deal with it, which is what I guess NVIDIA did, we have at least a year's worth of cards to sell. We're going to make financial, we're going to hit our quarterly marks like it's nothing every quarter anyway. So if you want to, like, we have, they, basically EVGA is saying their, pro, their power supply business is going insanely well. Their other businesses are going insanely well. And they have a year's worth of graphics cards to sell and figure out if they're going to do anything else. Right now, it sounds like they have no plans to work with AMD or Intel, though, which is the interesting thing. The good thing about uh, EVGA is they do sell PSUs, and if Lovelace is going up to 600 watts, there's a reason to buy a new PSUs. (laughs) Yeah, and and that's very true. I mean, you know, my immediate then thing I'm thinking about is all the stuff I've been hearing in the background about AIBs being mad. AMD thinking they can just win if they make a decent card at a decent price at decent power consumption. I have no doubts anymore that's true. I don't know what Lovelace is going to cost, but I if EVGA is willing to break up with NVIDIA, it costs too much. Do you, do you know EVGA's market share? I think uh, Tom's is citing something like uh, they may have up to 40% in the U.S., for just NVIDIA market share or GPU market share in general? Uh, I think NVIDIA market share. So EVGA apparently is having 40% of the NVIDIA AIB market share. So losing this partner is bad. 
And uh, I don't, it, to me, it sounds like from what I'm hearing, EVGA had test boards, validation boards, final boards worked on until about a month ago. But I think negotiations or conversations, whatever you want to call them, broke down with NVIDIA. And they said, we're not moving forward until you tell us how much this costs to make because we need a business plan and we're hemorrhaging money. And I guess NVIDIA never did. If you look around at leaked boxed coolers for Lovelace right now, they're all Zotac, Gigabyte, and MSI. Right? I don't think we've seen EVGA boxes leak yet. So I Not think yet. I think NVIDIA thought they were bluffing. I think NVIDIA thought EVGA was bluffing. And there's no way they would actually break up with us over this. And I, I was using this word a lot today, but apparently they didn't bluff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's, 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 that's some news for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there you go. It's God. I wish I could say some of the quotes I've heard exactly, but obviously it would give away people. Um, but man, some of the AMD quotes, some of the NVIDIA quotes, NVIDIA's partners are mad. Let me say that. Um, and I've heard like AMD partners and people who work with both AMD and NVIDIA saying, I, we can swear this isn't uh, Nvidia is fucked is what I keep hearing people say <laughs> like that. I know. And then let me be clear. Do I mean they're out of business? Do I mean they're going to lose? That's not what I mean, but that people are fundamentally underestimating the issues they're going to have with Lovelace and warranty cost and competing with an AMD that doesn't even care if they win like AMD, if they have, 90% of the performance, but their cards don't break cost half as much and don't need a new power supply from an EVGA. I'm really looking forward to next week's GTC and announcements. And I don't expect them to announce prices next week, but at least they will talk about something. So, and you I may think have an idea. It's going to be at least two grand, I think, for the 4090. I think. No way Titan, to know for sure, but. Titan. <laughs> all right well i mean that's our initial reaction i mean i'll just remind everyone again sounds like nvidia was calling in evga's bluff this completely backs up what i've heard that there is a year worth of cards to sell evga is not worrying they're like we'll just keep selling the 30 and 20 series for a year and our power supply business is where we make money now and you know what i bet evga also thinks there's no money to be made in graphics next year anyways they have a year to figure it out. Right now, they're not planning to work with AMD or Intel based on people I've talked to at EVGA. Uh, will they in a year? I don't know. But um, and, and uh, good thing for customers, they say they have enough cards for RMA. So in case uh, your card is dead, you still can go to EVGA and you get a new card. So no worries for customers here. That's a good thing, at least. And again, if anyone thinks uh, now's a good time to launch an uncompetitive graphics card. <laughs> is the worst time to launch any graphics card. You, oh, man. All right. Well, that's everything, right? Uh, I want to thank you for <laughs> doing, this last, doing this last minute edit, but I think we both agreed this is entirely changes the context. Of it's the news. Yeah. There are a lot of power-hungry graphics cards coming out soon from a green company that doesn't seem so hell-bent on staying green if it means losing the performance crown. And, you know, let's be honest, ludicrous performance is fun. 
But what isn't fun is feeling guilty for getting devilishly good frame rates. And, well, that's why today Moore's Law is Dead is sponsored by Wren. Wren is a website that allows you to calculate your carbon footprint, then offset it by funding a diverse mix of carbon reduction projects like tree planting, mineral weathering, and rainforest protection. You just answer a few questions about your lifestyle and then find ways that you can offset your carbon footprint or even reduce it a bit as well because let's be honest no one can reduce their carbon footprint to zero especially if you're gaming on a lovelace graphics card but you can look into ways to reduce it and then offset it as much as possible afterwards well if you use Ren. If you're interested in showing support for Moore's Law is Dead or showing support for an Earth that is about to be sworn by RTX 4000 series graphics cards, click on the link in the description. The first 100 people who sign up using the link in the description will get an extra 10 trees planted in their name. Show support for Moore's Law is Dead and show support for your planet's future. It's about to be full of power-hungry graphics cards at Ren today. Well, let me uh, switch gears here then to AMD. So I, I guess I just kind of want to ask, generally speaking, because I think you'd probably agree AMD is in a better place now than uh, probably than it's ever been, actually. Um, how did you see Radeon, though? Like, it, you had a Radeon card. So how did you see oh, Radeon yeah. pre-2010? during the GCN, you know, 7970 through Fury era and the RDNA era. Like I'm, it is interesting. Your first graphics card was Radeon because, and I made this, I don't make this joke that much anymore. When me and Dan used to look back and talk about the graphics card market, uh, maybe a decade ago, many people didn't even know what Radeon was in the U S at least like they don't advertise their website. I, I'll say it, their website pre 2010, like 12 was just horrible. Like it was hard to even find information about Radeon cards outside of review websites. Like they didn't You go to NVIDIA's website though. They have a spec sheet for each graphics card, these cool looking graphs that tells you how good they are versus the previous generation. I mean, what made you choose Radeon when you did and how have you seen them evolve over the past couple decades? Right. So, so it actually was the first card I, I bought myself. Um, all the other stuff was, uh, you know, no, from, from from friends or gifted or whatsoever. Um, back then, the 9700 Pro simply was the fastest card available. And I had the money and I was an enthusiast and I wanted to play PC video games with the highest possible quality settings. So I went for the fastest card. And yeah, the ATI card simply, simply was that card. Um, well, over the decades, um, NVIDIA always was the bigger player. Um, and I would say that pre-GCN and also partly during um, GCN, AMD kind of suffered because of the drivers, right? That was always like a, uh, a point people were, were complaining about, that uh, from a software perspective, NVIDIA is more advanced. Um, I would agree that back in the days, the GeForce driver was better um, from a stability perspective and also from a, from a feature perspective. But uh, especially with RDNA and RDNA 2, um, AMD made huge effort um, in uh, developing and integrating 
um, features the gaming community was asking for. And nowadays, it's it's almost on the on on the same level. There is some some minor stuff um, where Nvidia is doing better. So DLSS um, 2.0 um, is still a bit more advanced than FSR 2.0, I would say. Also, um, for me, from an enthusiast perspective, I, as I said, I love to use downsampling, um, DSR uh, for NVIDIA or VSR um, on AMD. And NVIDIA introduced a deep learning uh, downsampling filter, um, which is a bit better than the legacy filter before. So they have like, they are a bit ahead for, for certain, let's say, enthusiast features, but from a broader perspective, let's say for, for regular gaming, they have all the features NVIDIA is offering, uh, not everything, but most mm. of the stuff They're is integrated there, nowadays. Yeah. yeah. So I think um, it, it was mostly a software thing over the last um, decades and definitely not a hardware um, thing. And uh, AMD a couple of times had the fastest uh, graphics card for a couple of months compared to nvidia well all right so moving forward though here's the interesting thing that you talked about amd taking the crown a few times um and they did you know like your card i think right uh and then the 5870 the 7970 yeah the 7970 gigahertz edition took the crown um the 290x i would argue took the crown you could say maybe not for a long time because the 780 ti did arguably take it back until kepler aged badly um, but less memory yeah and not <laughs> frankly just not enough memory yeah um but you know during this time when amd was taking the crown they actually lost market share amd gained market share heavily with the 4000 series and the 5000 series and the 5000 took the crown for six months. So there's that, I guess. But it is interesting to think that when AMD was going all out, making 300 watt or higher cards with 7970s, 290Xs, that is when NVIDIA just started destroying them in market share, um, especially the 200 series. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what you thought about that, because as someone who reviewed so many NVIDIA and AMD cards over the years, I'm really curious if the things you thought would play out ever really did. Because I think, yeah, I was like, there were so many people that said, for example, the 290X, there's no way it's going to beat the Titan. And then it did at half the price almost. Did you expect that to get AMD a bunch of market share or, or not? And did you think any of these wins AMD had would make a big difference? You know, because it never seemed like they did. No. Um... It's quite interesting because there's something, uh, I don't know if there's a similar expression uh, for you in the US, but we have something, uh, we call it a Ferrari effect. Mm -hmm. So if a company has the the fastest product, people tend to believe that the rest of the lineup is also very good, which is not true for various reasons and for various generations. But there seems to be an effect. But the effect of, of having the fastest card uh, uh, itself, it's it's not enough, I think. Um, so if you have a very good mid-range graphics card, 
without having the fastest graphics card, that can be very good for um, the market share too. So you said with uh, GTX 200, NVIDIA went uh, went away with the market share compared to HD 4000 series? So and people can fact check me here, but I, I'm pretty sure I honestly just remember off the top of my head. Like, uh, basically, they were always between 40 to 60% for a while, uh, with NVIDIA usually having most of the market. And then with the 4000 series, which is when AMD just went for it, they had a card, which, yeah, so that'd be the 200. With the 4000 series, AMD launched graphics cards that were two-thirds to half the price of their competition for 90% of the performance. And that's when AMD, yep. I believe, got to 55% market share. I, I actually don't think AMD ever got to 60, but I do believe they got to 55 or almost 60. And after that, they launched the 5000 series, which they took the crown. And it was also still cheaper than NVIDIA. NVIDIA had to launch the GTX 480 which I know is factually had a lot of reliability issues. Um, and uh, I mean, it, that's public. It did. Like, they, I think they, uh, there's a big debacle with them and TSMC arguing over it, pointing fingers. Um, and, you know, they took the crown, but it was like 10% and they used double the energy and cost twice as much. So, or 50% more, I think. So they didn't gain any market share then. But then with Fermi 2.0, which I think AMD was caught off guard, nvidia brought out a new generation eight months later with the 500 series and that's when they got back to over 50 percent and then they went and then from there amd basically just started losing like a percent or two per year until it completely fell apart basically with maxwell that, so, that, that's yeah, basically what happened 4000 and and 5000 these were tiny chips and the cards were were pretty cheap and amd mm -hmm. gained share yeah um the 400 series i think had a too high the power consumption was too high um i think that was kind of the you know the 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 common knowledge that the first generation of fermi was kind of broken and, and power hungry so it had kind of a bad uh image but the 500 series with tsmt's 40 nanometer dropped power consumption and increased performance and Kind of NVIDIA was back in the game in a very short uh, period of time. And I think that was the kind of the turnaround. And then NVIDIA executed and executed. And um, AMD came up with uh, 6000 series. And I do think 6000 series was, was fine. So, um, and, and 7000 series um, M2, and as, as we, we said earlier, with the gigahertz edition, they, they again uh, went in front from from a performance perspective, but uh, yeah, that's that that's not enough. And um, maybe that was already a time where Nvidia, as you said, marketed the stuff better, or the the driver or the gaming compatibility, something like that. It's it's a decade ago, so don't name me on the details. Um, I have to, to double check the market test, actually. But I think after uh, 4,000, 5,000, um, the price performance on AMD side wasn't that good as before. And some people, again, moved over um, to NVIDIA for, for various reasons. Well, and that's where I think things get interesting, right? Because 
I always get annoyed when people say, well, NVIDIA always has the strongest card. Uh, they don't. They don't always have the strongest card. Granted, they did for a while recently, but AMD almost went out of business. So there's a reason for that. Um, but, and, and, you know, I've seen people say this Ferrari effect, you know, I, I think they usually call it the halo effect here. But mm. if you say it, the Ferrari effect, everyone would know what you mean. Um, and I, I'm just don't, th I think, I think what we know is that matters. Like what we've learned, we've had enough generations over the past decade. We've seen market share swings enough between these two companies to know that the halo, the Ferrari effect matters, but it's not everything. And getting it once doesn't seem to really matter. Like yeah. AMD had the crown for the 5000 series and then they did for the seven. And then they did kind of for a month, I guess, with the 200, but it was arguably disputed at a minimum. You know, taking the crown once doesn't make people forget NVIDIA is usually in charge. I don't think people see the halo effect as an effect unless you have the crown for like three generations in a row and, and you have it by a decent margin. I, I think that there was this mindset with AMD too, with like the 200 series, the 290X, that they were like, if we beat the Titan, we'll teach NVIDIA a lesson. I don't think they did. I, I think they I think they thought they were cutting the head off of a snake and they weren't like people didn't care that it happened once. Yeah, I think that's because it only happened once. So we had a couple of Titans and most of the Titans were the fastest cards until the next Titan uh, came up. So I think at least from a marketing perspective, uh, despite, you know, pricing and everything else, just from from the branding and from the performance, Titan was a good idea from NVIDIA's perspective. Well, clearly sold well. They couldn't keep them in stock, you know, which NVIDIA said they were surprised about. Yeah. Now, I think Titan was, was a good thing for, for NVIDIA. And uh, especially um, putting these cars, you know, for, for prosumers, somewhere between gaming and professional. So some users... Uh, would go for a Titan instead of a Quadro, mm -hmm. still paying a lot of money, but not that much money, and still getting very similar performance and very similar feature set, which is enough for a lot of uh, professional applications that don't require uh, Quadro or Tesla uh, supported drivers. Well, I think one thing we need to be clear about, though, when it comes to Titans are they're, they're just... The Titan is the 90 Ti when NVIDIA knows they've won. Like, they call the strongest card a Titan only when they think AMD can't beat them. If they think AMD has even a chance of beating them, they call it a 3090 because they don't want there to be a headline, AMD beats the Titan, right? And we had that before, that the Radeon was beating the Titan, right? Right, they didn't like that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, a Titan has to be the undisputed king of the hill. Well, and the reason I bring that up is because I have it on good authority that NVIDIA wants to launch a Titan again as soon as possible. And by the way, if you think the 4090 uses a lot of energy, get ready for that Titan, guys. <laughs> but the, it sounds like right now they're not planning to because they will only call it a Titan instead of a 4090 Ti if they're sure AMD is a firm 10, 20% behind them. Because if they're not, they don't want any headlines that say the Titan was beaten. So I guess I'll drop that tidbit, though, that I do know 
that the rumors of a Lovelace Titan are not completely misfounded. I just don't think it's ever gotten into a stage where they're like, well, we're, we're really going to do it. But it's definitely something they've thrown around. I, I would love to see a, a Titan again, but something I would call a proper Titan. Uh, so if NVIDIA is ever launching a Titan card again, I think it's only a real Titan if they use a fully enabled chip. So there were some Titans with a salvage part. And I kind of, I don't want to say dislike, but I, I, I think... I'll say it. I hate it. It's, it's insulting. It's nice to have, you know, if I buy a Titan, I want to have, you know, the full package. And full package not only means, you know, having the fastest card, it also means I want to have the most memory you can get, uh, fully enabled chip, highest clock rates, highest wattage if I actually want it. So the, the, the full package, including the, the, the chip. And I, I think it's a pity that some Titans don't have a fully enabled chip. And I think uh, if they go for, for other Lovelace, uh, they should use a fully enabled 8102 with the full uh, 144 um, SMs. SMs. Yeah. And 48 gigabytes of RAM. What about 96? Would you would it does it need 96 gigabytes to be a Titan? Or would you accept 48? Well, if if they again go and say it's a prosumer card for for content um, creators, I would love to see uh, that much memory. But uh, I think 48 is also reasonable. Well, yeah, I mean it's it's an insane amount of memory. <laughs> Let's be honest. Well, if 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 the 4090 has 24, then the Titan has to have 48 just because it's a titan i think right like that was insulting again i think when the 1080 ti had 11 gigabytes and the titan had 12 it didn't seem that special and again the original pascal titan was not the full die um but yeah i think there's a reason that you're gonna see partially disabled titans for a while i would agree if they do a titan this gen it's going to be 48 gigabytes i don't think they would do 24 with the 4090 but if why would they and i'm like it doesn't logically make sense for nvidia to launch a for example fully enabled 96 gigabyte titan because all you're doing is launching a a not quadro anymore a series, you know, would be like an 86,000 or 88,000 is probably what they'll call the 96 gigabyte when that comes out. But, you know, why would they make a, let's say, $3,000 Titan if they know they can sell it for five to 10 grand as a, a, as a professional style card, though? I think the Titan occupied, frankly, I think you can compare the Titan to Broadwelly's 10 core. The only reason Intel launched a 10 core hedt chip is because they were allowed to get away with quad cores and consumer and they needed something in the middle the second amd is competitive i don't think it makes that much business sense to launch a titan because you could sell it for 10 grand as a professional card instead i think uh, from a pricing perspective there seems to be always you know a, a spot in the middle between the geforce and the not anymore called quadro cards um, mm-hmm. so I think if there's the opportunity to make a Titan, they will do, uh, a Titan and for, for Lovelace, uh, it, it absolutely makes sense to have the 4090 with 24, a Titan with 48 and, uh, a Quadro with, uh, with 96 and pricing increasing 
uh, too, for sure. Yeah. I mean, we'll have to see. I guess the one argument you could make is the, I like that you call it that, the not quadros. Um, they have to have a reasonable amount of power, and I don't know what they're going to... I've actually heard some room... We'll see what they do. I mean, I know that they're from a couple sources that NVIDIA is indicating to people in data center that they're going to raise power for their professional lineup too. But I don't know how much because I think the most I've heard they'd put up with is 375 watts. They're like, we're not we're not taking a 500 watt. You, you know, there's, there's the, uh, the 3090 blower edition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you put a card like that in a workstation and, and you want to have a, a, blower, a blower fan for, for this kind of card, you don't want to go to like a, I don't know, a four slot lower card with 600 no. watts in a works in a, in a local workstation. You, you don't want to do that. So and I've talked said, to some people, to they, 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 they think the highest power consumption you can get up to with a good blower, which keep in mind, I, t- you know, I reviewed the a 6,000, which has a blower, but it's cool. It has like two intake parts on the front fan instead of just the one. And it cooled silently 300 Watts. Like it was nothing. And I'm told that if they use an even higher quality heat sink, even higher quality fan, they think they could get away with 375 watts in a two-slot cooler. It'd be the nicest, most expensive two-slot blower card you've ever seen, but they can do it. I think over 375 watts, it's they can't do it. So That's what I'm saying. You won't go to 450 or 600 with the blower design, especially if you have like with NVLink, like two cards in a workstation, mm-hmm. two cards with 600 and the blower. The upper blower is kind of stuck, right? No, no, that's too much, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, unless there's some technology Jensen has we don't know about. But yeah, so I guess that's the one argument I would make for the Titan. For all I know, maybe they have like 10%, let's say, of 80, 102 yields can do... 90% of the boosting at 375 watts, let's say hypothetically. And they find that they have a lot of fully enabled cards that can boost even higher, but they use 600 watts. <laughs> you know, and so that's why they launch a Titan because they just they just use too much energy if they're fully enabled, but too much energy for data center, not too much energy for gamers. So, well, I would argue 600 watts is still too much for gamers. We're going to find mm-hmm. out soon, I guess. Yeah. Um, if that's true, but um, I actually want to switch gears back to AMD here and ask this reader mail. Super Creepin writes in and he says, what specifically do you think AMD or really more specific, specifically Radeon should do besides increasing performance to increase its mind share over NVIDIA and GeForce? And I, we were getting on this conversation before we talked about the Titan. I'm kind of just circling back. What we, we've learned... When AMD made their cards dirt cheap with the 4000 series, they took market share, but they also didn't make a lot of money. And that allowed NVIDIA to make more money despite having less market share and then spend that on R&D to make a better series later on. Um, Which I mean, because yeah, Maxwell would have been designed right after Fermi. That's when they would have started working on it. So they took all that money started working on Maxwell. AMD didn't have the money to do that. So I don't think AMD can just charge half as much money. I think that's a losing strategy. It's not about being greedy. It's like, guys, if AMD did this, NVIDIA would just outspend them. It'd be like 
if you were playing a real-time strategy game, you didn't make enough villagers, you know? <laughs> like, it, you have to do that, because if you only focus on military, eventually you have no resources left. Yep. yep. Um, let's, I, yeah, I think that's a good analogy. But um, And if you just go for the crown, it doesn't work if you just take the crown once or twice. Nope. Which, again, nope. Nope. to use the <laughs> village, the, the real-time strategy uh analogy it's like amd didn't make enough villagers because they thought if they won one battle that'd be enough but it wasn't enough this is a war and then they couldn't keep funding their military you know so yeah, a single super unit and then you have all the mid-range fighters uh killing it right uh, doesn't work yeah over doesn't time yeah so well, what, what does amd have to do with what because right now they're still sitting at like they're selling more cards than ever, but the market's gotten a little bigger. They're not really taking market share. They're staying below 30%. It depends on the quarter, but I think it's safe to say AMD has about a fourth of the graphics market, and they don't seem to be taking it. What do they need to do to start getting even close to 40% market share consistently, do you think? I think uh, they have the right strategy, but it takes time. It simply takes a lot of time um, to execute every year with a proper generation, proper hardware, proper software, and uh, that's what they're what they're doing since uh, at least since RDNA uh, one. They are competitive from performance, from energy uh, perspective, pricing, also driver features, and I think you may correct me, or you have to. You have to. You may have the numbers. Um, starting with RDNA one, did the market share went up during RDNA one and RDNA two? Did it go up a bit? At um, I would have to check because I don't. It's funny. I don't pay as much attention to it recently, simply because it doesn't move that much anymore. <laughs> uh, like you know, like it just always seems to be between twenty and thirty percent. But I'm pulling up something on ha uh, Tom's hardware right now. Um, and wait, what are they using though? Because I don't like if they're just using like Steam hardware survey or something. I want to make sure. And, and there's a question: okay. What are the numbers based on? So is there is all the the mining stuff calculated? Within? This is based on Mercury research. So this is okay. So this is based on someone who sat down and tried to account for things. This isn't just like they took one number off of Steam or it's like all sales. It's like this is an estimate of actual market share. If I look at when RDNA came out, which I believe was 2019, um, yeah, because that would have been right after Turing, uh, AMD, honestly, it seems like AMD has been steadily taking market share from 16 through, or at least not losing it, through, yeah, until... 2020 and then right when ampere came out they started losing market share again so yeah that's in they haven't lost a ton they basically kept it they it went down and up over ampere's lifetime but more or less they've been gaining a tiny bit of market share and i'll put the link in the description so people know the facts i'm fine, using for fine, this fine but uh, they've been stuck at 20% basically since ampere steam, came out. uh steam numbers would be also um interesting if amd gained market share over the couple of years uh at steam just like uh the gdx 1060 for almost forever 
was the most popular card. Right, but the way Steam hardware works is they ping your computer per account. And so if there's an internet cafe in China yeah. and 10 people log in to the 1065 that, that's the gigabyte. 1060. Yeah, that's the <laughs> yeah. 1060 reason. But uh, so I just go by Mercury, um, I think, or John Petty. And if you look at that, AMD's basically been, AMD went down pretty bad at one point in 2015. Um, but since late Polaris, you know, when Polaris became like $150 or less, they've been steadily gaining and then stuck at 20% and Ampere stopped them from gaining market share, which is interesting because I do think the reason Ampere stopped AMD from gaining market share is because of how many of the cards NVIDIA made at Samsung and because that's when DLSS started being good. So NVIDIA actually had the software argument again. I think the good thing for, for Ampere is, as you said, that the Samsung Node has reasonable pricing for NVIDIA, I would say, mm-hmm. compared to, to a more advanced uh, TSMC node. Also, and that's a very NVIDIA thing, they were pushing ray tracing a lot. Um, ray tracing is here to stay. Have a look at consoles. Um, they, they had DLSS, and I think the combination of DLSS and ray tracing was uh, a very good marketing tool. And it didn't matter, yeah. right, with Turing because no game supported it yet and they lost a little market share. But with Ampere, now finally there's ray tracing games, right? Yeah, I think with, with Turing, uh, it was a first-generation thing, right, um, for, um, for ray tracing. Even Pascal can use ray tracing in software mode. So if you just want to give it a try, you can enable ray tracing on Pascal in certain games. Some some ray tracing games uh, refuse to work on, on Pascal. So it's also an engine or at least a, a developer um, decision. Uh, yeah, I think Turing wasn't... It's not the reason that Turing was too slow, but um, the impact on frame rate was, was very, very heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so most people didn't use ray tracing for all-day gaming. They, they had a look at ray tracing, uh, like for 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 shadows or for um, reflections, and they said, okay, it's not worth um, the performance um, impact compared to the image quality. But with Ampere, there's way more games um, using ray tracing. There's also way more games being optimized um, for ray tracing performance, uh, also coming from consoles. Um, so Ampere was NVIDIA's, let's say, first generation where people said, okay, uh, I can buy a mid-range card and use ray tracing, and it's looking great, and it's also running great. And the same is true for um, our DNA too. So games like uh, Dirt 5 or World of Warcraft, um, they're running fine on AMD, and there's also some ray tracing games that are actually faster uh, on AMD. And, yeah, I uh, think Resident Evil 8's arguably, right, a little, like yeah, at least equal uh, for AMD. performance drop going from rasterization to ray tracing in certain games is less than on nvidia so also saying that amd has uh, a lower ray tracing performance is not true in general too it's always a, a question of of engine of game of settings of, of optimizations well so just to round out the last discussion though and i agree I think AMD, and I've been talking to some people like in the comments, like answering questions on YouTube and stuff like, 
when they ask, what can AMD do to take market share? I think we just have to say it. What AMD needs to do is match NVIDIA software features, make sure they never have driver issues again, and then just make good cards for four years straight. I, it's going to take, I think, four years of just good cards. And I think near the end of those four years, once people don't regard Radeon as worse than NVIDIA, that's when the Ferrari effect would matter. But it doesn't matter if people think badly of your brand. The halo doesn't matter then. For, for comparison, have a look at Ryzen, right? Mm -hmm. um, first generation of Ryzen was good, but not astonishing. Um, especially the, uh, the application performance was better than the gaming performance relative to Intel. But then with Ryzen uh, 2000 um, and 5000, um, Ryzen was getting better and better and better. And especially in Germany, um, AMD CPUs are very popular. Mm -hmm. And um, I think Ryzen is a good example that over like four to five years, having a good product getting even better will give you the market share and also um, maybe even the advantage um, compared to the competition. And, and, and Intel is, is, is not a small company, right? They, they do good products too. Mm -hmm. Well, so I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a long-term thing. It needs a couple of years. But, and so, yeah, I mean, and, and that's what I tell people, you know, it's just, I think we're going to have to wait. I think RDNA one was arguably not even as big of a deal as Zen one. And so I think RDNA two is kind of like, I don't know, the Zen plus moment. I, I think, I think, yeah, yeah it, it wasn't even Zen two. And I think RDNA three might be a Zen 2 moment. But remember, it wasn't until Zen 3 that AMD started really taking that desktop market share. Super, I mean, Zen 2 kind of started it, but so I don't think we're going to see until RDNA 4, potentially, AMD really going in. If it, um, if it met just Ryzen, then yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, let me move on to this uh, reader mail here, because I actually do have an answer for it, Um, and it's kind of... Uh, tangential to what we're talking about um let's see kaiser aliro writes and he says hi mark and tom how much do you think amd will close the ray tracing performance gap this generation have you heard any rumblings on this besides final prices this feels like the last thing that hasn't leaked about rdna3 yet and i did when i saw this reader mail reach out to a source about it as i occasionally do and the person did get back to me and told me that and remember, if you work at AMD or Intel or NVIDIA, it's not like you know everything about everything. It's like you worked on this part of it. That's what you know. This person tells me that ray tracing was a major focus of RDNA 3 in a way RDNA 2 wasn't. In other words, RDNA 2 added ray tracing. And, you know, it's like they just, like I've seen people online say AMD bolted ray tracing on. It's like you don't bolt things onto an architecture. Thought went into it. They thought, you know, but... RDNA 3, there was a major focus to vastly improve ray tracing performance. What I don't have an exact number yet. And frankly, we're going to know everything about RDNA 3 in like two weeks or something. So I see no reason for me to try to give an exact number. But one thing I was able to pin down is that with ray tracing, RDNA 3 should firmly beat all Ampere cards. So don't expect the flagship 
RDNA 3 car to have any trouble beating a 3090 Ti with both of them having ray tracing cranked up. But of course, it's a much stronger, newer card, so you'd expect that. How much better will it be than the 3090 Ti? I don't know. I think it's quite possible. It's like at least 50% better or meets or exceeds Lovelace, but I just don't know besides that, right? It's a bigger jump than RDNA2's ray tracing performance was over like Turing, but I can't nail down if it's, you know, double RDNA2's, triple or quadruples. I don't have an exact number yet, but it will be much closer. I'm wondering, what do you expect though? How, like how close do you, like let's say Lovelace doubles performance, let's say RDNA3 roughly doubles performance to make the conversation easy. Do you think Lovelace will more than double ray tracing a vampire? And do you think RDNA3 will be close or better? I'm just curious kind of what your gut's telling you. I think uh, from a ray tracing perspective, um, the gap between RDNA2 and RDNA3 will be larger than Ampere versus Lovelace. Um, mm -hmm. Because AMD still has the opportunity uh, to implement some hardware acceleration for ray tracing um, NVIDIA and Intel um, already support. Um, so I think there's some, I, I don't want to call them low-hanging fruits, but right. you know, it, there is some stuff AMD has not yet implemented with um, RDNA um, 2. Um, and going forward to RDNA 3, they, they very probably will implement um, this kind of um, acceleration um, hardware. And also, I think um, having RDNA 2 with ray tracing in consoles also gives AMD the opportunity mm. to have better software optimizations. Because, um, so they've during, had time to optimize it, yeah, like widespread. Right, because um, Turing was the first um, PC hardware supporting hardware ray tracing followed by Ampere. So I would say that a lot of studios simply had to work with NVIDIA cards to enable ray tracing for video games. So it also takes a couple of months or a couple of years that developers learn to fully utilize um, the ray tracing hardware in AMD's Radiance and also in AMD's console hardware. And I think with... Uh, um, Xbox Series um, XS and also PlayStation 5 in the market now for for some time. Uh, AMD also stepped up uh, in terms of software, software optimizations and the combination of having better software and better hardware will get AMD to the point that they can match Lovelace in terms of rasterization and ray tracing performance. And I think Ray tracing performance is one of the, uh, let's say, issues of RDNA2. Uh, people were kind of complaining, saying, all right, if I buy a GeForce, I have better um, ray tracing performance. Then you have people saying, I, I don't mind ray tracing. I just want to have the fastest rasterization mm -hmm. graphics card, which is also the reason. But I think ray tracing is here to stay. And we already have some PC games like Metro Exodus. Mm -hmm. um, the new version. Which runs fine on a, on a 3050, I found, which surprised yes, me. Yes, and ray tracing, especially ambient occlusion ray tracing, is, is simply astonishing, and it requires an, a ray tracing-enabled card. So ray tracing is here to stay, for sure. Yeah, I think there's two interesting things to point out, kind of piggybacking off of, the, of what you were just saying. 
Uh, number one, what I would bring up is also AMD like didn't have a lot of RDNA two really was their first attempt at ray tracing. Basically, I know they had like little demos with Crytek and the Vega ray tracing. It's like mm-hmm. it's like kind of just shoehorning it in, and it's really no different than the fact that we've had ray tracing actually. There's PS3 demos doing ray tracing. They just never put it in a game. It's way too hard to run. Yeah, I mean, like, so so, so ray tracing's been around for a while. I wouldn't count those Vega demos as AMD knowing much. It's like they just got it working. You can always get ray tracing working to a certain degree on any piece of hardware if you try. It is not alien tech. We've been doing it for years. It's just never really worth it. RDNA 2 is their first real architecture. They tried to be able to do it decently. And... RDNA 3 will have the benefit of having tons of not just support on the software side, which I think is half of the reason Turing's ray tracing in the beginning sucked is because the software wasn't ready. It wasn't fully optimized, but it's not just the software. If you go listen to like interviews with the teams at Xbox or Mark Cerny at PlayStation, they sat there, especially from what I hear from Mark Cerny with AMD engineers and said, for this, we want this silicon. This is the min-max. And, you know, the way, for example, they designed the PS5, they wanted to be able to turn it on, say it's on, and that's it. That's all the PS5 was meant to do is turn on ray tracing a little bit and not lose a bunch of performance. But designing that architecture, learning what makes it efficiently able to run, they'll take that and they'll go, oh, so these are the things we need to focus on to accelerate ray tracing even better in RDNA 3. And they just, they didn't have that feedback, that buy-in from like Microsoft and Sony helping them min-max, I think, until the consoles were out. So they have that. I would also point out that Turing wasn't, people will say that's NVIDIA's first generation of ray tracing. It was kind of their 1.5. Like Volta had tensor cores. Volta runs ray tracing better than Pascal and benchmarks. But it, that was their first gen is they like tensor cores it can denoise it there turing is the one where they really really kind of optimized it i feel like and ampere is kind of like a i mean they say it i think they say third generation tensor cores and they're advertising with ampere ampere's third generation tensor cores not second so i think that's worth pointing out too is that nvidia's had much more experience working on ray tracing even before turing and RDNA 3 is AMD's real, real first attempt. In fact, we are we should kind of be surprised that RDNA 2 worked well with ray tracing at all. Well, just to step in, so the tensor cores, you can use the tensor cores for denoising, like for applications, but uh, um, for PC gaming, it's uh, only used for DLSS. The denoising for ray tracing is done by the shader alus uh, in, in video games. Well, I don't think they use it for DLSS anymore either. I think DLSS is mostly um, software algorithm written by running tensor cores to make the algorithm. That's why DLSS works now, by the way. Early DLSS did use the tensor cores. It did. But my understanding is since DLSS 2.0, they stopped because it added too much latency. Right? So it's actually really complicated even what they use the tensor cores for anymore um but that's my understanding so if i'm wrong i apologize but i do believe and and i do remember these benchmarks of at least early ray tracing uh volts of massly outperforming pascal and that's true that's so 
I don't know. I, I guess whether I, I got, remember, I'm not an engineer at one of these companies. I'm getting the details wrong. I do believe it's clear that there was some evolution of ray tracing even before Turing came out. They were clearly trying to get that working for a while before they doubled down on it. Whereas I feel like RDNA 2 kind of just had to get it working. And again, I think we're, I think we're, I, we should be happy it works as well as it does. It's kind of surprising it even works this well. Again, um, as you uh, as you mentioned with uh, Xbox and, and PlayStation um, having ray tracing integrated, I think that's a very also a very good learning for AMD because building a a console grade chip, it's all about maximizing the performance per square mm -hmm. millimeter um, and per watt and per watt and also per dollar, right? Because AM, um, Microsoft and, and Sony they don't pay much for these kind of chips compared like to the margin you have with uh, some desktop graphics cards so it's a very constrained design from a lot of perspectives uh, to actually build a console asic and i think if you can manage to squeeze in ray tracing in a console chip you have a very very good learning how to implement this kind of technology in a full fat uh, PC or workstation or even server-grade uh, GPU ASIC. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like then to round back to the beginning of this discussion of ray tracing with RDNA 3, you would be surprised, would you? Would you be surprised if Lovelace ray tracing, like, again, let's say you have two cards, RDNA 3, Lovelace, same raster. Would you be surprised if Lovelace was 20% better of ray tracing? Or like, at what point do you think it'll be a surprise? Like, do you think there'll be within 10%, 20? I, I'm just, and, and it's not like anyone's, you know, you're, we're, this is a decent amount of speculation here. So I'm not asking anyone to put you in a firing squad if you get it wrong. But I'm wondering what you expect. I would expect, uh, if, if they say have the same rest of performance, I would expect Lovelace and the RDNA 3 roughly on the same ray tracing mm -hmm. level 2 without any you know DLSS FSR whatever upscaling stuff native resolution i would so say mostly the same to clarify then maybe this is a way of putting it maybe nvidia wins on average but there will be amd games where amd does better is that what you would say if with ray tracing like it would be that enough be where it depends on yeah. Yeah, I think I think it always depends on 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 the game. So I I would never say this architecture is better suited um, for ray tracing because the engine, the game, uh, even the settings and the scene you're running in in a game uh, can change uh, the the relation between between two cards. So you may go, let's say, mm -hmm. you, you take the first level of Crisis and Nvidia wins. You yep. take the second level, NVIDIA wins. You go back to the first level and you use medium ray tracing instead of high ray tracing. And then again, NVIDIA will win. So also for, for, from a benchmarking perspective, it's, it's, it's very tricky um, to figure out what kind of data do I have? What kind of data do I have to interpret? Um, so usually you need, a lot, you need a lot of scenes to check to actually have something where you can say, right, this is representative for, uh, for the performance I want to show. If you just grab a random safe game 
and benchmark two cards and say, hey, this card is faster. This is only true for this game, for this safe game, for this driver, for this everything, right? Um, so you need a, a lot of games, a lot of scenes, a lot of benchmarks to actually actually justify if one card has, on average, a better ray tracing or raster um, performance, especially with the ray tracing, it's, 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 it's very tricky. Yeah, I, I think it's entirely conceivable that what you might see is in level because right now nvidia just typically runs ray tracing better i don't if you crank it up more obviously that gives nvidia more of an advantage in most games but it's not like it's if i turn ray tracing down to low amd wins it's nvidia still wins no. I, it, yeah. it wouldn't surprise but me it, if like oh like when there's a lot of like metal like when there's like a ton of mirrors NVIDIA wins with Lovelace, but in a room where it's metal reflections and there's a little like there, it may come down to how many of the types of reflections even. And, and this is something we've seen actually a game that I'm aware of that's notorious for this type of thing. It's not ray tracing, but um, Deus Ex Mankind of uh, yeah, I th yeah, Deus Ex Mankind Divided. They found that the built in benchmark was one of the hardest parts of the game to run. But at the same time, it also uh, kind of hurt amd less than nvidia <laughs> and you go into other scenes nvidia wins halo infinite i think they found that if you go outside nvidia gets hammered more than amd relative to inside of areas so this is a thing that it's going to be tricky first x mankind divided was an amd game right it was mm -hmm. yeah, so there you go <laughs> yeah i know but it's hey not, they didn't tessellate an entire ocean you can't see like in crisis 2 that nvidia game that one was <laughs> Well, we're kind of unique. Let, 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 let's, uh, I know. Let's um, round out the kind of RDNA three architecture discussion with this question here. Crazy, what is it? And what's this message over here? You want treats, belly rubs, walks, and to not overpay for Windows keys. Well, I can definitely handle the treats, belly rubs, and walks on my own. I can't help Reesey with getting reasonably priced Microsoft keys without CDKeyOffer.com. This piece of content is sponsored by CDKeyOffer.com, a long-term sponsor of Moore's Laws Dead and its community for any time someone in my community needs reasonably priced Office or Microsoft operating system keys without paying excessive monopolistic pricing. But that's not all they offer either. They also have great deals on PlayStation, Steam, Origin, and Uplay keys, and physical products like gaming chairs and keyboards and mice as well. They are always running sales, but make sure you use the best code possible provided for Moore's Laws Dead fans for the biggest discount. Use the links in the description or on screen, and then the code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off Windows codes or die shrink for 3% off everything else on the website. Being on these links really does help the channel a lot and using the offer codes helps it even more it keeps cd key offer as a reliable sponsor for this community and for you to use again in the future as they keep sponsoring us go to cdkeyoffer.com today capelio writes in and he says rdna3 will bring the first consumer gpus built with chiplets five nanometer in this case which is one of them what are your predictions for what we'll learn about how chiplets and their required interconnects will affect GPU performance positively and or negatively? So I, I'm just, and I'm just going to take this question to mean like, 
what are you most curious to learn about when it comes to RDNA 3? What do you expect will be a thing we discover? Because I think you've probably seen the leaks. We know it seems to have, you know, a, a graphics chip, memory controller chips. They can stack a little bit of Infinity Cash extra if they want to. Um, I'll put a link in the description for, you know, the stuff that I think people should know. But uh, yeah, what are, you, what are you most excited to test and learn about from RDNA 3? So, you know, besides, let's say, the, the, the regular stuff like raster performance, ray tracing performance, mm-hmm. wattage, all, all that stuff. That, that's very basic, basic let's say. What, what, I'm, what I'm looking forward to, to check out is actually how much of the power consumption is used to move data between the chiplets. If we take a look at like um, Ryzen or Epic, um, the I/O die, or uh, yeah, the I/O die is consuming a lot of energy, um, and uh, with uh, Navi uh, 32 and Navi 31, we also have uh, a GCD and multiple multiple um, MCDs, and I wonder how ma- how high the power consumption uh, of the GCD is and how high the power consumption of the the MCDs. Um, Will be that, that's something I'm curious mm. about the the energy needed how much energy is needed to move data between the chiplets that's an interesting question too because I've heard a couple of interesting whispers about actually what the max configuration for Navi 31 could be that uh, we might be underestimating how many memory controller chips we can put on it so i guess i'll throw that out there too off we'll to see but it'd be interesting if like the graphics chip always on the top one navi 31 for example let's just say that the graphics chip always would use like 150 watts if it had one memory controller so it's like all right so you're saying now it only has 164 bit memory interface only uses 150 watts you go well yeah it doesn't have enough bandwidth too though but let's say you had another one does adding another memory controller add another 20 watts 15 watts like what percentage of it is the graphics and like if they went up to like a 512 bit bus let's say hypothetically like it sounds like maybe they could if they really wanted to does this become a 500 watt card because of how much data needs to be sent to so many memory chips actually yeah so especially like um if if we do benchmarks of graphics cards right we we usually let them run full speed so there is no V-Sync, there is no frame cap, no nothing. Oh, yeah. F- full, full power, right? But in reality, especially with uh, FreeSync and, and G-Sync or Adaptive Sync in, in general, um, you, you may limit your frame rate to have smoother frame times. Let's say you have a 144 hertz display, right? You would limit your frame rate to 140 um, FPS. And if the card... Let's say it can go up to 200 in in the game you're running, but you're capping the frame rate to 140. It will obviously consume less power. And I wonder if with Navi, with having the chiplet design, and as you said, if we if we need less bandwidth, and we maybe can kind of power gate uh, one or more MCDs, that power will drop. A lot more than we're used to know from current gen uh, graphics cards. That's something. Yeah, I'm grinning a lot because you've thought of something here that 
makes so much sense, but I haven't really just thought about is it's it's the case, but that would be super interesting. It's entirely conceivable because I know that Rembrandt already disables parts of the APU. It's a monolithic one to save power. Tons of SOCs already do this. And from what I'm hearing, Phoenix APU from AMD is going to be very good at disabling parts of the die that aren't being used. It's entirely conceivable if you were to turn VSync on or cap the frame rate with Navi 31, that what they might do is turn off half of the memory controllers if the frame rate doesn't need to go higher, and boom, all of a sudden you're using 150 watts with VSync, whereas NVIDIA is using 300. I don't know if you, today with a monolithic die, if they are already able to partly disable. Yeah, they talked about that in hot chips. Oh, Oh, memory channels? Yeah. I think so, yes. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> While actively running a game, you can disable channels. I'd have to talk right? to someone at AMD, but I think I know what I'm going to do after this podcast. Um, and and um, you, you may remember the code name. I'm, I'm not sure. It was um, one of the, the AMD mobile uh, chips. They had also power aisles for CUs, so you could disable mm-hmm. certain CUs, and that was once in a lifetime, only this very chip was able to power gate um, CUs and AMD never did it before and they never did it after. That was also a quite unique approach because it, it blows up the die size. I'm trying to remember. If the, yeah, I'm trying to remember if the PS5 literally does that at a heart because it has backwards compatibility. So it needs to be able to go into 18 compute unit mode to run PS4 games natively. So I don't remember if the PS5 might literally do that itself. Right, because I, I I had that conversation with someone at AMD actually, and I don't remember if the conclusion was it software or not, but I believe it. I believe it may have literally done that, and like it was just kind of like a thing that went hand in hand with Sony's backwards compatibility design modification to the RDNA two architecture. So all of this is there, and I, and I've heard actually for a while that RDNA three can disable and boost compute units separately. So go oh, that would be add- interesting. And so adding those efficiency ideas into the memory channels, yes, it again, it's entirely conceivable that what we might see out of RDNA 3 now that I'm thinking about it is an architecture where if it's running flat out with as many memory controllers as possible, it uses, you know, almost as much energy as Lovelace. But anytime you cap frame rate or, or again, like let's say the 7900 XT is 384-bit, but then they make the 7800 XT you know, maybe they just use, uh, what would it be then, like five of those memory controllers, make it 320-bit or yeah. something like that. Or, or, they, or they could even go down to, would that be, nah, and, and then it go down to 256-bit, yeah. Because yeah. Um, I think it's per 64-bit with RDNA yeah, 3. I don't right. think they could go to like 288-bit or something weird. Um, I mean, you could see them say, hey, now this the 6900, or 7900 XT is, I don't know, 330 watts. And the 7800 XT is 250. Like it would be, it's going to be interesting to see. I think that's, I think we are stumbling into realizing a major advantage in efficiency AMD is probably going to have. I think that's a, it's a very great thing about chiplets in in general, like with, um, also with, with Epic. So obviously, having all the chiplets and moving data between the chiplets, that's a very, very hard task. That's a very tough problem to solve. On the other hand, it gives you very nice 
opportunities like scaling up the number uh, of chiplets to to increase performance and it maybe also gives you the advantage like um scaling power in a in a way uh it wasn't possible um before with having monolithic dies so uh, hardware is always a trade off and and the question is what kind of trade off uh do you want to have or what is achievable with a certain um architecture and amd is successful with chiplets um for cpus so um i'm really looking forward to seeing our dna3 and all the uh magic kind of hmm. implemented in it well so about yet. yeah and, and um, you have thought of some things that i haven't like that we're just gonna have to see wait and see um i guess the the thing i would say is what do you think about amd's strategy though so i leaked this the other night that at least based on what i'm hearing and don't get me wrong i do believe there's going to be aib like a sapphire toxic version of the 7900 xt that probably uses 450 watts and i think it's worth remembering that similar to what happened with the 6900 xt and the 3090 a lot of these aibs like msi asus that make graphics cards for both amd and nvidia they are going to design a cooler for a 3090 and then they're going to take that, change the heat sink a little, make it go on a 6900 XT, allowing a lot of them to push the 6900 XT way above stock settings because it's a 300 watt card that's using a 3090s cooler. I expect similar things to happen with RDNA 3 where they just take a 4090 cooler and they push some of them to like 400, 500 watts. And we'll have to see how much stronger that makes them because with how high Zen 4 is clocking, it's conceivable Zen... Uh, RDNA 3 on 5 nanometer could hit over 3 gigahertz quite easily. We'll have to see. Um, but what I'm saying, what I'm kind of getting to though, is the reference version of the 7900 XT I'm hearing is not some 450 watt card that AMD wants to make it have just a standard amount of power consumption, probably between 300 to 375 watts. It kind of actually sounds like it's most likely below 350 as well, maybe 330 watts, 320 watts. Like, what do you think about this idea of AMD not going for the crown? Because I bet they could challenge the 4090 if they used 500 watts. But what do you think about them, like, not winning or tying because they just want to keep power consumption low? Do you think this is a good move? Or do you think they should go for the crown as hard as they can right now? Maybe they go for the crown with only 300. What do you well, think about that? <laughs> I know. And, and it is interesting. People in the comments go, oh, so now you're saying RDNA 3 is going to lose? And I'm like... No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying they're not going for maximum. I, I think that whether they win or lose, it's pretty clear they're not going to try to win by like 30% and use 500 watts. But yeah, that's that's something. Uh, personally, I would prefer that vendors don't pursue the last 5% for like 50 watts or even 10% for 100, watt, 100 mm -hmm. watts, right? So I would, I would love to see a card that's a, has a bit more reasonable frequencies, but power is way lower than just going for the absolute crone and then putting 150 watts more uh, on the board power. So I think, at, at least from a reviewer perspective, I think it, it, would be, it would be nice to have a card that's maybe slightly behind competition, but it consumes way less power and also the cooler uh, is producing way less noise um, compared to the competition's card. 
That is, or it's just way cheaper, which is oh, it's cheaper. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it's always a trade-off. Also, you know, um, um, for 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 pricing and performance and 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 what it. But that's something as a as a reviewer, I would love to to see to not go way beyond the sweet spot to just have the uh, Halo product for plus five percent. If AMD pushed cooling to the limit, they would need more expensive boards and coolers, and they could maybe be, like firmly take the crown at five hundred watts at fifteen hundred dollars. But I think what they want to do is have like a three hundred three thirty watt card that they can, you know, we're talking about six hundred millimeter squared, a four nanometer silicon for Lovelace. We're talking about some five nanometer silicon so it's more expensive than what they're making now but still most of the silicon six nanometer <laughs> like i think uh amd can make a 7900 xt that's 1200 bucks and pretty much just matches the 4090 while using half the energy i i think that's just a better product you know especially for this year when energy costs are up i i think amd sees like this is the chance to let Nvidia become known as the hot company, or the you know. From a manufacturing perspective, so the price you have to pay for for, for wafers and and the chips themselves, I think the combination of having a single N5 and couple N6, especially tiny N6 uh, chiplets, uh, is a super nice approach. And we all know that Nvidia kind of likes to go super large monolithic um size and um yeah for, for nanometer or or for n as you said yes it's it's more expensive than n6 it's also definitely more expensive than, than n5 there is some you know negotiations right how many wafers how many tips per wafer whatever uh, but in average it's probably more expensive and um also yield rate well and amd is a much higher tier partner too so i don't think any deal nvidia gets is better than amd most likely that's something to assume yeah yeah too yeah yield rate is is a thing if you go above 600 square millimeter with uh four nanometer um and we saw it with uh, a couple of cards before uh, as we mentioned with the titans not being fully enabled uh chips this is a yield thing Right, and it's not getting better with 600 square millimeter on N4. Mm -hmm. Well, and now that we're like kind of really into the efficiency discussion, let me switch gears here to a reader mail from Beefish. He says, "I have a mostly laptop centric question. Although AMD hasn't had the best luck gaining desktop market share, they seem to be doing better than in laptop. Even though Nvidia seems to be pushing power on desktop, which is true." AMD's kind of been stagnant in desktop for the past few years in market share for graphics cards, but for a laptop, they are gaining right now. He says, let me see, even though NVIDIA seems to be pushing power on desktop, the node shrink should be great for laptop, shouldn't it? And they have dominant mindshare. It does already release laptop Alchemist models that may be their only segments released to discrete GPUs to in the future. How do you see the laptop market shaping up next year? Do you see AMD and or Intel eating into NVIDIA's market dominance right i think uh, there's two there's two questions within one question mm -hmm. um one thing is 
AMD versus Intel from a from a laptop perspective where you have where you don't have discrete graphics. And then there's also like the gaming laptops where you have a dedicated GeForce or a dedicated Radeon on top um, mm-hmm. of the CPU. And um I think there um I have to double check the numbers. I think AMD is gaining market share for laptops without discrete graphics. So AMD versus Intel laptop mm-hmm. market share. AMD is gaining market share. And I think the reason is that um AMD's Ryzen for mobile, especially the last two generations, are more energy efficient than Intel's offering. So you have a better performance at a lower wattage. And nowadays, you quite often have also a longer battery lifetime. And I think the combination of having more efficient compute power and less power and better battery life overall is a selling point. So I think that's the reason why AMD is gaining market share, at least versus Intel in the non-dedicated graphics laptop market. Yeah, I think NVIDIA really dodged a much bigger bullet than AMD with Intel Alchemist um, kind of falling apart because that was something I heard NVIDIA was frantically worried about, like Intel pushing NVIDIA out of the laptop market because AMD really doesn't have to worry. AMD makes their own laptops anyway. So, but you could see a situation where if Intel, you know, XE graphics on mobile were excellent, at least in the low end, even NVIDIA loses half of their mobile market share. There goes all the MX cards, the 1050s, the 2050s, the 3050s. Um, So I think NVIDIA can sigh a sigh of relief a bit right now that that's not going to be an issue as much of an issue, which you can talk about later if you want to. But at the same time, I think if we then go and look at Intel versus AMD, I think Intel is in serious trouble here. I mean, what I'm hearing about Raptor Lake Mobile is it's very hot. (laughs) Like this and that the people I talk to, they're like, they have no idea how Intel is going to even try to compete with Phoenix. That fr- frankly, what I'm told is that Rembrandt isn't going to be beaten by Raptor Lake uh, below 25 watts anyways. And that if Raptor Lake can't beat Rembrandt, they they, they don't even know <laughs> what's going to happen to Phoenix. So I, I really think next year is the perfect storm. Just to answer his question for... AMD to take laptop market share. They're going, I think they're going to by far have the best mobile chips. Even when Meteor Lake comes out, it's kind of a stepping stone to Intel's new platform as an SOC thing. AMD is going to have Strix. And you know, I'd also point out, don't they call it now Phoenix Point and Strix Point? So it's like, it kind of sounds like AMD is turning their APUs into a platform, kind of like Meteor Lake with tiles as well, um, at least with Strix. So I I don't I don't know what Intel's going to do in laptop next year. Obviously they're going to keep most of the market share, but I could seriously see AMD get to 35% or something because I know that because of how oversaturated the graphics market is right now on desktop, that AMD is just kind of switching capacity over because it's the same node, you know, for a lot of laptop parts. So you know, it's 
I think Intel's in a lot of trouble. I do think the question of Lovelace, though, versus RDNA 3 and mobile is an interesting one. Because, again, we don't know where that efficiency curve for Lovelace is perfectly aligned at. Just going from 8 to 4 nanometer, wouldn't you expect mobile Lovelace to be at least 50% better at the same same power usage in laptop chips? Right. thing is, um, we, we talked about it uh, uh, a while ago. Um, we have lots of different Ada Lovelace chips. So maybe maybe, um, yeah. maybe 8102, 103 are more targeted to desktop and higher wattage. And maybe uh, 104 and 106 have another design point um, for scaling down to, to laptops. Um, so that could be an approach for NVIDIA. That's a really good point. Uh, I think, yeah, I think in high-end laptop, NVIDIA is going to be okay. And for sure, you should not expect NVIDIA to be less efficient. The question, though, becomes is what is it going to cost? Because again, it's it's 4 nanometer versus AMD using 6 nanometer for Navi 33 uh, and 5 nanometer for and 6 nanometer for Navi 32, which I'm told Navi 32 is focused at laptop as well. So. I don't know. I think what I think what we're probably going to see is the hyper efficient, reasonably priced mid range gaming laptops are probably going to be dominated by Phoenix, Dragon Range, and RDNA three. But in the high end, Nvidia is going to have no trouble having decent performance on laptop. Right? I just think it's going to cost more, though. Probably, that's that's at least uh, an idea. If you go beyond 150 watts, like in a 15 inch or 17. Uh, inch, and you can have this this raw performance for for a, for a price tag, obviously. But uh, there are certain gaming laptops people just pay the price to get the performance. Again, kind of the halo effect, right? You have the fastest gaming laptop, 15 inch, six, uh, 16 inch, 17 inch, and Nvidia may serve this purpose for this kind of laptops. With all profit. right, so. I know you're running out of time. You've already given us so much. So what I want to do is I just have like two more final things to bring up. I have one more AMD thing, and then maybe we'll have time to talk about Intel a little bit more. We have, I guess, unsurprisingly, mostly talked about AMD and NVIDIA, but I guess that's not really a surprise considering all the graphics launches coming uh, out of them and the lack of graphics launches coming out of one other one. Um, But let me ask this, because I think this is an interesting question that people are going to start asking a lot next year. Swiggles writes in and he says, hey, Tom and Mark, we have continued to see the importance and pressure AMD has put on competitors to make markets better for consumers, however, indirectly over the past few years. However, how much longer do you see them continuing to keep playing the nice guy and start really acting like they are larger counterparts in CPU and GPU that we've been much more critical of in the past few years for being greedy? So how would you answer that? You go first. I, I would disagree. Um, we 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 saw it with with Ryzen last year. We we see it with Ryzen this year. As soon as AMD has the advantage in performance, you pay the price uh, for the performance. And we talked about Radeon HD four thousand having super low prices uh, for for a reason. Nvidia uh, AMD was was trying to gain market share. They had tiny chips, and selling the cards for a lower price is 
is an idea to gain market share. They tried. It, it, it kind of worked, uh, but not forever. And AMD is is not a nice guy. NVIDIA is not a nice guy. Intel is not a nice mm. guy. They all are not nice guys from this point of view. They They want to make money. And if they see a chance to make money, they will take the opportunity and make money. And um, yeah, so um, I, I would I would disagree that uh, they, they they kind of uh, still play you know the the underdog uh, game. They don't. They don't. They don't. If they have the performance, they have the price, and it's it's reasonable and it's it's okay from a from a business perspective. Yeah, I guess what I would say is, and, and I think you kind of said this in so many words, is I kind of reject the premise of the question because they're not a nice guy. None of these companies are evil or nice. The only thing I would say is that doesn't mean you should assume AMD is going to do everything Intel and NVIDIA did. Like only NVIDIA came up with the GeForce partner program. Only Intel came up with, well, actually, partially, there's a little bit of rebate stuff going on with all these companies, but Intel's the one who paid Dell, you know, <laughs> billions of dollars to not sell AMD products. What I would say to Swiggles is don't assume if AMD gets in charge, there's going to be an AMD partner program and they're going to try to be monopolistic and do that. Having said that, they're going to do what they think they can do to keep any market share they take. Some of that might not seem as mean as AMD and Intel, but it stops there. I still think if AMD has the best chip, they're going to charge for it if they're sure, right? But I just wouldn't assume they're going to become an evil empire. <laughs> you know, I think it takes a while and it, it would take different leadership to make those types of decisions. Or I don't know if you disagree with me on that. No, we shouldn't I, I, assume the worst. Not the worst. We should we shouldn't assume the worst. But even if you look back, like uh, Athlon FX, mm -hmm. it was the highest priced CPU in the market, except Intel's Extreme Edition. So if there's opportunity to put a price tag on it, companies will do it. Mm -hmm. And it's 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 just how it works, right? Yeah, and I think AMD learned a lesson from that one too. I'm like, from my perspective, if you go back and look at what happened with Athlon, I think they tried to milk the market too quickly. Like, I don't know what they were thinking. They just doubled prices gen over gen the second they could, and it kind of stopped them from getting market share. So that's the other thing I would say is, again, whatever AMD does, it's because they think it's a good business decision. So if they take the market and then they charge twenty percent more. It's not because they're not evil. It's because they know if they double prices, that's stupid. Like they'll lose market share. <laughs> but so, it's, but that's the only. It's a delicate balance, right? Always. And I think now they know it's a delicate balance. So I would just say, don't expect them to be as greedy as Nvidia. But if they're not as greedy as Nvidia, it's because they think that would be stupid, not because they're nice guys. Like you know, because um, none of these companies are nice guys. All right. I, I guess the final thing I want to talk about. I know you have like just like 10 minutes or something left here. Intel, how do you see Intel's place in the market? And we can talk about recent Alchemist or really ARC roadmap changing rumors as much as you want or a little, but 
what do you see as Intel's main challenges? What do you expect out of Arc and Alchemist? And just, yeah, I mean, like, go go on. Right. Obviously, Intel has a lot of different um, sections, right? Mm-hmm. Different groups. They they have a client. They have desktop. They have mobile. They have server. They have uh, AGX. Um, so desktop and client is, is still doing fine. Raptor Lake is, is, is coming up, having a, a great gaming performance, I would say. Um, also, application performance should go, should go up substantially uh, because of the double amount of, of e-cores. Um, server business did not go well, right, the last quarter, and it probably won't be well the next and the one after. So Sapphire Rapids is, is delayed, and AMD is coming up with Genoa. Uh, so uh, Pat Gelsinger said um, he he believes that Intel is at the bottom for at least a quarter, and they will will work up uh, again in the quarters um, to come. And I think as, as soon as Sapphire Rapids actually hits the market, and and if Emerald is not too much delayed, uh, I think the server business should be fine um, again. Um, client and, and desktop gaming. Looks fine so far, I think. Uh, sorry, it looks fine so so far. Graphics is a question, right? You 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 had Arc uh, as a topic a lot over the last couple of uh, of weeks. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, I mean, let's be fair. I've been talking about XE for years when people were just ignoring it, and it was it was uh, weird, and then it was exciting, and now it's kind of depressing. But yeah, go on. <laughs> depressing, right? Okay, if you say so. Um, yeah, we we had uh, Tom Peterson uh, saying uh, to uh, Hot Hardware, I think, that Battle Mage is 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 doing fine so far. So uh, Battle Mage being uh, the generation after Alchemist and Alchemist, except uh, A380 is not yet in the market. Uh, right. Despite- so like, and that was supposed to launch quarter one. Talking so I just. About it. Like, how can anyone, and I'm just, don't mean to cut you off, but I just have to say it, like, take anything Tom Peterson says seriously when everything he said this year hasn't happened. <laughs> like, he says Battle Mage is fine. Alchemist didn't launch quarter one. And I think I'll have a video out before here where it's like, effectively, it's not out quarter three. It did not launch late summer. The A770 did not launch during the summer. So everything he said was going to happen hasn't happened. Why would this be the first time he's telling the truth? Right. The question is, why is it delayed? Is it because of hardware? Is it because of software? Is it because of, of, of other reasons? So Charlie is claiming uh, one of the reasons is drivers, um, because the team in, in Russia had to be pulled. And uh, so the drivers were delayed or are delayed. Also, Alchemist being delayed doesn't necessarily mean that Battle Mage is delayed too. So Battle Mage can come, can arrive in a, in a proper time frame. I don't know. Um, I would hope for Intel that they can execute our graphics over the next, over the next years because um, they are putting a lot of effort and money into this topic. Um, as Tom Peterson said, they do need at least XEHPC for the HPC market. Um, also having Arc graphics for laptops 
um, is a great thing. As you mentioned, uh, they would push out NVIDIA of the, the entry gaming laptop business. Um, so it's going to be interesting what's going to happening with all the ARC and XE stuff, for sure. I think the thing that a lot of people bring up is they go, well, you know, it makes sense to have this. It makes sense to have that. And I would say, you know, it would make sense for AMD if they could launch some 12 nanometer, you know, cheap graphics card, if they could launch some $10,000 gaming card. And then if at the same time they invented a new type of 3D memory like Optane. But the reason Optane got canceled, the reason AMD is not doing all of those things is because they don't have unlimited money. And I think there's this perception that Intel has unlimited money and they just don't anymore. They're running out of money. Like, and so, and, and you know, I, I think I'll probably, I've been saying this though, whether it comes out in a video before this podcast or not, they're upping prices with Raptor Lake. And from what I'm hearing, they may even announce price increases for Alder Lake. So AM, Intel, the only reason Intel, I shouldn't say the only, they make good products too. But one of the main reasons Intel hasn't lost more market share with, um, well, both, you know, with desktop client and with uh, laptop and server is because they have been accepting lower margins for three years with the assumption that amd will eventually fall behind and now i think they've realized amd is not going anywhere like if they keep taking these let's say 10 to 30 percent margins instead of the 40 to 50 percent amd is getting amd will eventually have more money to spend on r&d and it's going to run into what happened to radeon against nvidia and so they're about to raise prices and they can't even afford to take low margins anymore. So I guess that's all I'm saying is if they had unlimited money, of course they would do tons of graphics. Of course they would do this. But it's basically a certainty you won't make money in high-end graphics next year unless you are the best because of how oversupplied we are in the recession we're in. Right now, Intel is making an A770 that can't beat a 3060 Ti I mean, my God, it's more comparable to a 3060. Think about the 3060 is on eight nanometer with a 40% smaller die than their flagship that is on six nanometer with a 3070 Ti size die. They're losing money. That's all I'm saying is it's like, does it make sense to launch some data center cards? Yes. Does it make sense to maybe have a low end laptop card? Yes. I actually think it would be bad for the company if they stayed in high-end graphics because I'm it, they won't make money and they only have so much. Yeah, you said, uh, as you mentioned, um, the die is bigger in a more expensive node and according to Tom Peterson, they will sell the card for a price in, how, how did they call it, like a tier three or tier two uh, performance? So like... A, Less optimized games, that will be the, um, the price tag compared to, to NVIDIA and AMD. So they will probably sell a card with a more expensive chip for a lower price, but the same performance. So they will, they, they may not lose money, but um, at least they won't make a lot of money with, with these cards. Um, 
So they have to figure out what's the business decision about this project. Uh, they may stick uh, to laptop graphics, they may stick uh, to high-performance um, graphics, but they may not stick um, to high-end desktop graphics like for the next three generations. So Tom Peterson said um, Battlemate is, is, is coming, Battlemate is, is, is doing fine. Um, Celestial is another thing. Um, mm -hmm. Roger said um, they will execute the strategy they were showing back in, in February. Um, but they haven't executed it. So he's saying they're going to continue to execute a strategy they haven't executed. That's my problem, though, right? They, that In February, they said graphics were launching in quarter one, and they didn't. So how can we say they're going to, if he says we're going to continue to execute this strategy, continue. You haven't. You haven't even done step one. So right, I, I don't know. I, I take those statements as bizarre. Paper on, in, in laptops, they shipped EG2. And in the second quarter, they did ship uh, A380, at least for, for, for China, right? So if you, if you just go by shipping, they, they did execute, I would say. I mean, Intel certainly has to argue that so their investors don't sue them. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The, I, I will just say I don't know that you can say that Alchemist launched quarter one because even when they said they had those laptops on sale in South Korea, no one could find them until April. So I guess I don't know what else there really is to say about that, though, because at the end of the day, it just feels like whatever we're saying, we're kind of guessing and it doesn't even feel like we can use the same information. It's like, how can we even discuss something where we're not even sure what the facts are? Like, <laughs> so I think what I would say about Alchemist or, or really Arc in general is if you wanted to take high-end graphics or get into it, I'd say last year was the year to do it when everything you make sells. But from what I'm hearing, NVIDIA didn't even want to launch Lovelace. They just have to because they have the contract to make them <laughs> and they can't keep filling up a warehouse forever. Like, so if NVIDIA doesn't want to launch a graphics card, I don't know how a new entrant's going to make any money doing it. I, I guess that's all I would say is like, I don't think it's always uh, my opinions and what I've leaked about ARC. It's not about me saying... It's not pointing and laughing and saying, ha-ha, Intel. It's, it's me saying... Guys, I think they just realize they won't make money. <laughs> like, you know, I think, I think it's less about if they can and more about is this really what we should spend our money on? I think it's 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 very bad luck from an Intel's uh, perspective. The uh, the cards are delayed for whatever reasons, and now we have Ethereum shutting down, and now probably the market is flooded by used cards like 360 uh, level, and then you may get. A used 360 for a price even lower than a brand new A770 or A750, yeah. and, and and Nvidia or uh, the other way around, Intel is is having the the more expensive card to manufacture, and then they have to compete to cheaper cards that are even more cheap because they're used cards, and all this is hitting Intel in Q4. That's that's just just bad luck. Right. Yeah. That's, it's not a good time for Intel to release uh, a GPU this time. 
Right. And and I would say it doesn't matter who you blame, you know. It's just not a good time to launch graph, new graphics oh, cards. But they, 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 they can't change it, right? So they have to deal with the situation. And not launching Alchemist at all would be wrong, too. So they... Well, if you ask Intel, they already launched Alchemist. So, right. <laughs> you know, so I don't think uh, whether or I not they're launching an, an, an A380 and I was buying it in, in, in China. So it, it does exist. You can buy it. Oh, it's it's, it's uh, um, I was buying another one uh, today in Germany. So the A380 is in the market, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, again, any, any talk about art cancellation is more about what's being canceled. Obviously, Alchemist, they've made it. And frankly, they produced the dyes like in quarter one. So <laughs> obviously, those are going to go somewhere. But the question <laughs> of what happens sure. in the future, you know, th- that's the question. Um, time will tell as always yeah well I mean I I, get, I know you gotta go so I, th- I figure we should end it there um, I guess let me is there is there anything you want to plug any or like you know this is definitely a chance to like anything at all you want to plug like your website golem.de or I, I just want to thank my, my colleagues at, at golem uh, what has been possible over the, the last decade. It, it's a great team. It's a great website. We do great stuff. So um, if by any chance you do understand German or just grab Google Translate or DeepL, go to golem.de, read our stuff. It's great stuff. Go and check it well, out. Well, and I will say I did uh, use some of the new iPhone coverage from golem.de uh, and the last broken silicon is the basis for a read because I don't know if you guys do your own translations to English or what, but it works well. And I thought the writing was still very good in English. So I actually can recommend that. Like, I think they said, yeah, the writing was like, they didn't even spend three minutes on their new chip, <laughs> like, which was a very interesting, important thing to point out. So I found the coverage very good we have, there. We have pretty high standards from a language perspective. And maybe if you have very, very delicate German, it uh, seems to translate very easy to, to English. I think that's maybe a reason. It's it's a non-English website that, it, however it's done, translates to English well, is what I've found. So I can recommend so, it. That's good for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because some don't. But uh yeah, there's some websites where I see rumor websites quote them, and they quote the opposite of what the website said because they used Google uh, Translate. That happens a lot. Yeah, right. Yeah, not on yours. It's not perfect, for mm-hmm. sure. But, um, all right, well, you know, thanks for coming on. Thanks to everybody thanks for everybody. listening. Uh, remember to subscribe to Moore's Law is Dead. Ring the bell button on YouTube. Please remember to tell your friends about us. Subscribe on uh, your podcast app of choice. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Support us on Patreon to submit questions for the future Broken Silicons and get them early and ad-free. Otherwise, thank you to everybody for listening, and thank you for coming on again, Mark. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law's Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law's Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother. 
Dan. Audio editing by Gerard Cortez and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Fole, A.V., Anthony Greffa, Greg Patecki, Muhammad Akwari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, Little Germany, Jan Rauner, Daniel Hyde, Shredbird, Brian Riggleman, Dr. Foreman, Sam Miller, Deke, Thomas Rupp, The Mechanical Philosopher, Terrence Herod, SNES Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg G. Wojcik, Andrew S., Frank Zielinski, Daniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, Justice Brennan, Sammy Good, Valko Malev, The Boss Haas, Nicholas Buckner, Spamtum G. Spamtum, Jonathan, Lord Starstream, General Drips, Blake, Franco Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Aziris, Gregory S. Hacker, Dominique Cock, Jake Dew23, Jake Martin, Cameron, Christian Lovoy, Hardforum.com, Original Ross, Slicky, Dance Bassler, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Chris Frey Butler, GZ Ziggy, Sarcastro, Stefan Hart, Jason B., Meat and Pork Stew, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jeskowiak, Travis Gooding, Holden Mobley, Nanyan, Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stefan Coates, Michael McGee, Chuck Glidden, Sammy Malas, Greg Adrianine, Patrick Groh, Amiable Chief, Brett Summers, Danny Nguyen, Stephen Dick, Cooden, uh, Tommy, Brucha, Mark Mitchell, McDaffy, Delmain Peterson, James Anderson, Y. Tree, Mark Raidmaker, Dave Scholes, 3DS by 08, Hal Buma, Norithio, Matthew Landabazo, Stefan, Cole Attic, Henry Zhang, Judson N., Brendan O'Connell, The Grid, Michelle Pell, D31337 Antics, Jason Bowen, Noah Nokoella, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Jeremy Ferriera, Mayor, Desis, Thomas T- Steve, Precision, DNA Tech, 50C Desert, John O'Shea, Royce Meyer, Charles Russell, Reginald Irie, Slushbot, Tika Autumn, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Neith Resnink, David Eastland, Kel, Andre Jacques, Gaiman Since Reagan, Jeff Sadler, Jordan Simkovic, Loophole 35, Winstar, Joker, James I. Randner, Corey Leonard, Nelima John Shin, Justin Bustle, Kelfin, Austin Haggerty, Roger Davies, Shea, Julian Linked, Corey Chappelle, Evan Dingle, C2, Timothy Baldridge, Samuel Park, Radiant Technologies Group, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>